Dom Albright with Aviation with an Aviation special, taking a look at the SDN Hall of Fame class of 2021. And with me today is Chris Shevink, uh, CEO, President, and Chairman of Sure. Uh, welcome, ma'am. Hi, Tim. Good and to see you. Well, again, congratulations uh, for making the, the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, really big honor, really great class. Uh, so congratulations on that. Well, I thank you so much. I was pretty surprised when I heard the news and I'm very grateful and, and humbled by that. So I'm very honored. Thank you. Let, let's take a look back and something I'm, I'm kind of doing with, with all of our folks here is, is taking a, a trip back. And one of the fun things to ask folks in AV is how you got started. Right. And, and I think that there are as many answers as there are people in, in AV, but, but, you know, the typical pathway is, you know, um, either you were in, in broadcasting, you were in music, or you were you know, some sort of uh, engineering field. You are an engineer uh, by Correct. trade. Um, that's how you came up through, through Shore. So, so let's start back uh, 20 or 30 years ago when you first, you know, you got out of, high, got out of college and you got into Shore. What, what led you to join a, a microphone company? You know, I had had an interest in music all of my life. Although I have to admit, when Sure came on campus to do some interviewing when I was graduated, um, I hadn't heard of the company previously because even though I was interested in music, I wasn't so much involved on the whole, you know, sound side of things. I loved playing piano, loved playing French horn, but didn't really get involved with that technical side. So when Sure came uh, on campus and I interviewed, I had a couple other offers in the hopper. There was just kind of a, I, I call it a feeling, a gut feeling that I had about the company because it really mixed, you know, my, my education in mechanical engineering and I could get a, a great job at a great company that also had a lot of people with a similar passion for music. And, you know, we have musicians all over the place that sure. And um, I, I am not one of the best that's for, that's for positive, but that was, that was the draw, you know, I could have gone to a car company, I could have gone to a company making sensors, but that draw of music is what definitely brought me in. And talk about that for a second, because that, that is one thing that, that's kind of interesting, especially in the AV field, is, is how many musicians, right? And, and let's be frank, you know, we're, we're all working in AV, so none of us have, you know, we're, we're, none of us are rock stars, so, so we didn't make it that, that far. But talk about the kind of the, that, that underlying passion uh without throughout this industry and not just insure right mm -hmm. it, it, regardless of, of the company you look at yeah. whether it's an integrator or manufacturer that musical thread seems to seems to go throughout the industry oh i think i think i can be talking to anybody in the industry and feel like i'm i'm talking to a friend or a neighbor because um there is something i think that goes with the technology side of a person's brain and then the um the arts side and i would say the heaviest like percentage of engineers that we have in any division at Sure is in our engineering and probably second in our marketing groups. So we are our own customers. We are our own beta testers, alpha testers, and we put into our products what we want out of them. So um, you just, you know, we can't stop inventing because we're always looking for a better way to do what we like to do in our free time, I guess. Yeah, that's one of the things is, is the folks that I've gotten to know at Shore, um, 
they do indeed have, you know, home studios and it's not just, mm -hmm. oh, I have a microphone and, and, and not just because, you know, you guys were, uh, you know, a number of your employees were obviously set up uh, for, for the, the pandemic crisis mm -hmm. for having, you know, good quality microphones at home, but these are folks who have recording studios at home, right? Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned, yeah. You the fact that, that they beta test your products. Well, they're already set up because they are already doing stuff like that. They can do it at home and back in the, you know, the good old days, pre-pandemic, you know, people would go and, you know, they were doing a gig on the weekend and they would take their, our products into whatever venue that they were playing in and be able to put them through the real, the real test of any product. Yeah, absolutely. Real world, you know, real world. Uh, real world. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's kind of go through and because and, you had several different jobs uh, at Shore and and I don't want to gloss over those because I think mm -hmm. each of them kind of added to you eventually becoming the the president and CEO. Right. Um, one of those though, and and then I would I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, the last 10, 15 years before you became um, before you became president had to deal with the global view of the company, right? right. Everything from uh, global marketing and, and, and you know, you, you helped um, launch, I think, the, 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 the Chinese um, manufacturing uh, um, mm -hmm. systems there. Right. But talk for a second about that, the need of, of as you're coming up. Yes, you are an engineer, right? By, again, mm -hmm. that, that, that's, you've got that part of your, of your mind. But also the, the, the experience that you've had at Shore to kind of get a global view, both figuratively, figuratively but also literally, of the market, but also of, of sure as a company? Well, you know, when I was very early in my career at Sure, I got to actually start traveling out of the United States at a, at a fairly um, early age, I guess I would say, because even when I started at the company in 1989, we had a pretty globalized supply chain. So I was in quality, heavily involved in manufacturing. We had uh, manufacturing in, in Mexico, a lot of manufacturing in the US, but then a ton of suppliers in Asia. So I did spend a lot of time back and forth between Mexico and Asia and started to get a pretty global perspective at a fairly young age. Um, I also um, start, got onto the executive staff at a fairly young age. I got onto the executive staff in 1997. So that wasn't too long after I had started with the company. I was the head of quality at that point. So I had a lot of interaction with customers then, you know, fairly early in my career too. Um, people always have something to say about reliability, what they want the products to do, durability. Of course, it's what we are known for, but there's always things to be improving on. So I got to start interfacing with customers from that angle. And then to your point about starting up the factory then in China, eventually that opened up in 2006. Um, that was a period when I was running all of our entire supply chain. So our manufacturing plants, the supply base, doing the purchasing, still had quality. And that's when um, things were becoming very, very competitive from um, a margin standpoint yeah. and needing to really lower the cost of production. So we did a lot of streamlining in the early 2000s. That was a you know, that was a really active time in terms of consolidating manufacturing, deciding what part is really core that we wanted to keep and maintain ourselves because we wanted to maintain that quality and which parts could we actually outsource, which, you know, were some tough decisions because we had done a lot of these processes for a long time. And I'm a manufacturing person, you know, coming yeah. into the company and here I am deciding what kind of things are we going to keep and what kind of things will we actually outsource. But by outsourcing, then we were able to free up you know, funding, if you will, to really focus more on forward technology. 
So then we started heavily investing more in our engineering engine as well as our go-to-market engine. So then by the time I went from operations into the global sales and marketing role, I had this you know, very global mindset and we were starting to take um, our center of gravity being the United States and putting people from a go-to-market perspective in all parts of the world. You know, I started at the company, we had five locations all in North America. And, you know, we sit here today with about 36, 37 places because you can't know what the customer needs sitting in, in Niles, Illinois. So we invested, you know, we had maybe been investing in the past in heavier manufacturing. We invested in forward technology and getting feet on the street in all of the key places all around the globe. So I guess it's been a you know 30 plus years of just increasing the, the global mindset and getting closer to our customers. That's that's been that's really been the journey. What what are those aspects of getting closer to the customer is, is creating experience centers. And mm -hmm. uh, you have opened up a number number of these, and I and I, I could be wrong on this. I want to say the, the 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 latest one is in London. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, so talk about you know that connection there, right? Because you, you know, not yeah. only do you have offices and do you have you know obviously representatives in country, right? Whether that's mm -hmm. in India or you know um, Australia or you know, London and in uh, different parts of Europe, but creating spaces for folks to come in and and, and experience. Mm -hmm your technology, but also to provide feedback to you. Say, you know what, this is this is a great microphone, but could it do this, right? right. Uh, talk yeah. about the, that, that connection there. Yeah, that is that is critically important for products, especially needed for, you know, business to business, business communication. The, the London Experience Center, I'm glad you know about that one. It's an interesting time of year because I think it was almost a year ago to the date mm -hmm. yeah. that I went to London for the grand opening of that center. So, you know, you can describe to people how a product works and you can give all the technical features, but until you actually sit and listen and experience something yourself live and in person, it's really hard to understand what the true difference is. So that's why we started creating the experience centers to do that, to be able to show what our solutions actually do, to show their ease of use, to show the audio quality, but also then, like you just said, it's a perfect way for us to continue that interaction with our customers. Um, I firmly believe, and you know, this is a little bit of a, a place where the pandemic hampers us. I firmly believe that sitting shoulder to shoulder with customers, observing what they are doing in their work environments, what's their workflow, where are they hitting, you know, hurdles. What kind of things are they doing, which you can observe and say, you know, there's a lot better way to do that. There's a much better way, um, as opposed to just asking them. You really, you know, you get kind of a two-dimensional conversation when you ask somebody what they want, because they're coming from the boundaries and the paradigm and the mindset of what they know today. And you may be working on something in the lab that they can't even conceive of at that moment. And so until you're sitting there in their environment and seeing what's happening or you're observing them in your experience center, um, there's, there's no replacement for that, I think. And that's why we have opened up all these different locations around the world. You don't just get it by asking those questions. Yeah, really. I, I, I wanna kind of take a, a turn here and, and, and talk about your, your position in the mm -hmm. industry. Um, you know, one of the things that that is is fascinating to me is is you're not only one of the few you're you're a, you're a you're a female executive, female CEO. Let's just you know you mm -hmm. are a female CEO, 
in the tech industry. That is unique in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. then we go farther down the tail. You are one of the few, and again, we can probably count on one hand in the AV industry. Talk about why that's important uh, and, and talk about, you know, not just the need for representation, but also the, the need to have more females in STEM and more females in, in, you know, engineering roles and also in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a topic that I have a true passion about, and it goes beyond, you know, diversity with, you know, getting more females into the technical work field. It's just diversity in general, because yeah. I just told you about all the different places that we have offices around the world. How can, how would we be able to address that diverse customer base if we didn't have a diverse workforce ourselves? You know, it goes hand in hand. We don't know our customers if, um, if we're just too homogenous of an organization. So um, I think when it comes to the technical fields, whether you're looking at STEM careers or you're looking at fields in AV, um, there's a there's a pipeline problem is how I like to think of it. So, you know, you can here and now and today be active in your recruiting and be looking for diverse um, people. But if there's not enough folks coming in through that pipeline, it's gonna be a perpetual problem. When I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree, there was hundreds of engineering students graduating that year from the University of Wisconsin. Three of us were girls in the mechanical engineering program that year. It hasn't gotten much better, especially in mechanical engineering. So the pipeline for me starts um, really at the junior high and high school age. I think there's a lot of education and active things that uh, people in industry can do. Um, I think there's more access for young, younger women to get into um, technology fields now compared to say 20 or 30 years ago. There are fairly good applied technology departments in most high schools. There are organizations that um, girls can join. There's girls who code, there's TechBridge. There's a lot of different um, clubs that weren't around you know, back in my day. But girls might still need a nudge to get involved in those, in those organizations or in those kind of classes in high school because they may think that's not for me. No, all the guys are joining that. So that little nudge comes in the form of, again, what, what can those of us in industry do? Well, we can look at taking on mentorship um, you can, if you know, if you know somebody who has a girl that's entering high school and she's thinking about should she take one of these, you know, engineering STEM classes or something else, you know, you can sit down with her for a couple hours, half a day, talk about what you do in your job and start to start to dispel a lot of myths that are out there about what technology fields really are. I think a lot of people have a picture in their mind that doesn't involve the full range of things that people do in technology and in AV, that it's a creative, you know, sort of job that you work with other people in teams and collaboration, and that there is kind of a little bit of art to the science as well. So I think some mentorship, um, bringing, you know, if it's a take your daughter to work kind of day or something like that, it doesn't even have to be a special day. Um, getting kids to come into your company and maybe visit your you know, re your recording studio, getting kids to visit the engineering department and see what people are working on, see them, you know, printing a 3D prototype of a design and ask the kids if they like it. Um, you know, simple ideas like that, just to generate some of the curiosity and some enthusiasm around what we do in our field. And again, just debunk whatever sort of picture, you know, somebody young might have in their mind about what you do in these fields. Because if you don't capture somebody when they are pretty much into their, their high school years, 
then diverting them into that um, direction in college and then in their, you know, their ultimate careers becomes almost impossible. So it has to start at a pretty early age. Yeah, absolutely. And as somebody who, who, did, who was one of three women uh, to graduate uh, in, in your college class, I can imagine that you share, you in, in, in had your share of, of adversity, right? Of, of folks, you know, saying, you know, you, you don't, I, I, either overtly saying, Chris, you don't belong here, or, you know, some, somewhat, you know, um, not necessarily overt. What would you say to your young woman who, whether she was in high school, considering this, looking at it as a career, as she faces some adversity? Because unfortunately, I can almost guarantee you mm-hmm. that they will. Um, how, yeah. What would you say to them? You know what, for for every person that um, you might find more negative, you can find at least three times as many more that are more positive. I was very fortunate. Sure has a culture where people are very open and sharing and friendly. So I was able to find mentors at the company pretty readily and, and to be able to help me. I was a little bit more on my own when I was in college, but I actually did find the Society of Women Engineers. So okay. I was able to join a group and be able to sort of, you know, collaborate, commiserate with what people were going through. And it wasn't long, you know, after I joined that group, and that's still a very active group on campus, as I know, um, that I opened myself up a little bit more. If I was having difficulty in a class, you know, I would join a study group. And I would find out that I wasn't the only person in the class that didn't understand something that, you know, all of us had a problem that we had to solve together. But sometimes when you're the only one in the class and you look a little bit different, you think, oh, I must be the only one that's not getting this. And you just have to be willing to advocate for yourself a little bit to ask some questions, either find a mentor or find a team to work with. So that's my advice is don't be afraid to ask <laughs> any and all questions. And I think sometimes girls are, especially are a little bit shy about raising the hand. You know, we think we can figure it out on our own or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as someone who, who has struggled in school, I would I guarantee you, you're not the only one because there's yeah. at least me in, in your class. Right. Um, I, I want to head something real quick before we let you go. And, and that is the culture um, that you kind of got brought up and with Mrs. Shore. Right, you yeah. you were thankful. You were lucky enough to work there uh, alongside her, uh, mm-hmm. obviously before she she passed. Talk about that culture that she was able to cultivate there. You know, it's it's interesting for that for you to ask that question because sure has a very distinct culture, and I think it was born out of her and her husband. You know, Mr. Sure as the founder of the company, they had. Um, very, very high ethics and early on defined what the core values of the company are. And we still uphold those core values today. They've stood the test of time of like eight decades. Um, a heavy a heavy belief in making high quality products, being a good um, community citizen and you know, treating everybody fairly and with respect. So that's how we all interact with each other internally with our business partners, with our suppliers. That is just, it is very much ingrained in the culture. What I find, you know, what I found interesting being aside her for about 20 years was, you know, that was certainly what she exuded and people, our associates definitely came first. The part that, you know, many associates other than people like myself, you know, maybe didn't see was that she also had a very keenly sharp business mind. And she probably grew the business at a faster clip 
in her 20 years than her husband did. You know, if you look at the annual rates of growth under her, they were extremely high. And um, I think that that's the balance, having that business sense and balancing that out with having the right people on the team, being able to motivate the right people on the team. That was her magic formula. And, you know, to the best that I've been able to, that's what I'm trying to sustain and make sure that, you know, all of those wonderful elements of the culture and the care and the ethics carry on while still, you know, running a healthy business. Because if you run a healthy business, then you're going to be able to do more <laughs> for more people. Absolutely. Uh, one of the aspects of, of Sure that, that I also found fascinating is, is the tenure, the average tenure. Yeah. Right, uh, in, talking with with a buddy of mine that works there um, in the Niles slash downtown Chicago office, mm-hmm. when you guys are, are obviously in office, um, he said for the first ten years he was there, he was called the new kid mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. the average, you know, and, and that's that goes back to the culture though, right? It is it is, mm-hmm. it is that culture. It is the you know creating that environment where people just quite frankly just want to stick around. Um, well, I, I think it's not just that the elements of the culture I just described, but it's also like, think about the career that I just described for you. How many different jobs have I had at the company? A lot. Yeah, a lot. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone there. People are able to branch out and try different things. And again, I, I don't know that that's unique to sure. I think that's the way that the world of audio changes. And we're always trying to keep up with the latest technology and um, that's, you know, that's part of the draw, you know, you're always learning something new. So that was my career, but I share that with many other people as sure they've done a lot of different jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, uh, we'll go, can I give you, uh, the, the opportunity to, to look ahead? Um, quite frankly, because of 2020, I've stopped asking <laughs> people for five years. Um, I think it's kind of silly, but you yeah. know. But if you want to take five years, knock yourself out. I'm just going to simply ask, maybe an, a year, possibly eighteen months. Where do you see the industry, uh, either economically or, or to, from a technology standpoint? Where do you see mm-hmm. uh, the AV industry over the next year and a half? Well, you know, I think that many people say about the pandemic that it accelerated a lot of trends that were already occurring, and I firmly do believe in that. And some of the trends that I think have been happening in the world of audio for a long time is that we need to be flexible. So whether it's how you're doing a live performance or how you're doing conferencing, that has, the acceleration button has been pushed. And I think down the road, we'll be looking at performances that combine live and streaming. And we'll be looking at um, companies that are hybrid in terms of some people working remote, some people being in the office. and the way that they work in the office is gonna be different. You know, The yeah. pendulum is not gonna swing all the way back to where it was in February of 2020. So I think to me, the word of the day is flexibility. Going forward, we're all gonna to have to figure out how to outfit many different rooms for sound, how to do performances in multiple different ways. And you know, there's not going to be a one size fits all anymore. And again, that was a path that we were already heading down. But now it's definitely going to be one size is not going to fit all. We're going to have to have fairly custom solutions for a lot of different venues and a lot of different rooms. All right. I like that, Chris Jimming. Uh, and the newest inductee into the SDN Hall of Fame for 2020. Thank you so very much. Congratulations again. Um, Thanks, how do people get a hold of you or Short uh, if they are so inclined? Sure.com. All right. Very good. 
Chris Shipping uh, from Shore. Uh, for us, for AV Nation, go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find programs like this and a host of others where you can see our interviews with all of the entire class uh, of the 2021 SDN Hall of Fame. All of that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. 